You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Hello and welcome to Critical Mass Business Talk Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi, and this is the longest running business talk show in Orange County. And do we have a good show planned for you? Lisa Rayberg is our guest. She's the president of Rayberg Life Insurance Settlements. Lisa, welcome to the program. It's my pleasure to be here, Rick. Thank you so much for the opportunity. You're welcome. Let's get right into it. You've been in business for five years plus. Take us back to that time before you started your business, but what was the original motivation for you to start your business? There are 500,000 seniors a year who will lapse their life insurance policies, and there, right there, is the motivation. They, they don't want the policy anymore, they don't need the policy anymore, and they just don't know if there's another option. And we are that other option. So that was a huge passion of mine, a huge focus. And the other part of it, which is really important as well, is that I have been in the insurance industry 30 years working with insurance agents and financial advisors for all that time. And I thought this is a great solution for them to be able to help their clients, but also help their businesses as well. So it's a win, win, win for everybody. And I'm really passionate about life insurance settlements. And we're going to get into what that means in a little bit. But, but before we get there, I'm wondering, as your business, was, when did you truly believe that you had a business that was going to thrive? Well, I think like many um, business owners, I never believed that it couldn't. You know what I'm saying? Like, like positive attitude going in because I know how to market. I know how to work with these insurance agents and financial advisors that we work with across the country. I know how to work with them because I've been doing it for so long and I've built businesses and I've built divisions for corporations, just not for myself. So from that perspective, obviously very positive going into it, but you are right. At, at some point in time, it, you, you get this feeling like, okay, well, well, this is going to work. So probably about the two-year mark as business kept growing and growing and growing, it was like, okay, this is going to be able to sustain me for you know decades to come. And that's why I uh, ask all entrepreneurs who have started something these kind of questions. And our listeners know that I this is where I like to start with you all because I think it's the hardest thing to do in business is to create a business from nothing. Right. The industry the market didn't know you existed, doesn't understand maybe what you're doing. And so there's a lot of early energy that entrepreneurs have to put in their business. And so you're another testament to that. You got to you got to go for at least two years in your case and longer for others before you really look at this thing and go, yeah, I, I think I've got something that I can scale. So right. thank you for sharing your experience, Lisa. I'm sure, though, over the five years that you've been in business, you've had some serious challenges to your business. And I'm just wondering, so this is the other side of that equation, which is even after maybe you feel like you've got something that you can count on that can thrive, there, there can be externalities that might put the business at risk. Was there ever a time over those five years where you got worried about the basic premise of your business? I wasn't worried about the basic premise of my business, but what, you know, we all have something that keeps us up at night, right? Yes. So for me, it's a function of just continuing to stretch myself because I had a, I was in corporate for a long time. You and I had that conversation prior uh -huh. and, you know, we, 
you're comfortable, right? And now it's okay, I'm doing this for myself, which is fine, but I have to learn new tricks. I have to learn to do things differently. I never would have done a podcast or webcast or been on this type of show um, on corporate. So where where my uh, focus is, is marketing, continuing to innovate at the same time, continuing to do a great job taking care of clients and financial advisors. So it's, and it's juggling all that um, and being able to do everything well. So that's what keeps me up at night um, is, is continuing to innovate and continuing to do new things that I may not be comfortable with and to try them. Did COVID in any way uh, cause you to have to pivot in the business or to come up with another amount of creativity to continue to grow your firm? I think that anyone who says that COVID did not impact their business is probably you know, not accurate. Um, sure, COVID, here's the good news. COVID did not stop my business. Um, it did make some people kind of rethink, do I really want to sell my life insurance policy now? That was a fair mm -hmm. question, but mm -hmm. it did not stop my business. I actually had a really good year last year, but what it did do is cause me to pivot to, okay, instead of going face to face and doing a lot of public speaking, which I do do, how do I do this remotely and how is that all going to work? And the, here's good news, bad news my reach was a lot further. Like I just did a presentation to a group of elder law attorneys in Massachusetts, which I never would have been able to do, you know, pre COVID, but I could during COVID. The bad news in that is, as you know, there's not as many people on zoom calls or, or on zoom presentations and um, uh, uh, focus can be a little bit, you know, more difficult uh, for attendees on those types of venues. But the bottom line here is my reach was a lot better. So that's why I went a lot more online, uh, posting a lot more on LinkedIn, just trying to um, develop and kind of change uh, going online and redoing things remotely versus being in person. That's a great answer. And, um, and one that I want to reinforce because I look for teachable moments, transferable knowledge. I believe in peer learning and others' experiences or guides for us in many ways. And what I have found through a series of interviews that we've done in the COVID times is that this opportunity to use technology to extend our reach, as you said, is, is available to many people. But it's not only that, it's, it, it's also that on the other side, there's a certain amount of receptivity to being on those platforms. Right. So it, it, we could have done it before, but the likelihood of people signing up for these type of things was, I think, less. Now people are more inclined to join into a Zoom webinar and be available remotely. So it's it's you got both sides of the equation. The technology is there to do it. And the people in many cases are there and they're comfortable in that environment now. Yeah, and it, it was a learning curve for sure. Um, and I think I'm still learning every day on, you know, how to do, how to be better and how to be uh, just present better. But you're you're absolutely right. It's it's not only people willing to attend, but it's people like me willing to to be there and, and do the presentation and, and take that step forward and take that leap. And, you know, it's scary the first couple of times, like, how is this going to work? But, you know, it does. And we get used to it. And I just jump into the deep end of the pool. <laughs> And I love that about you. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on the show because of that spark of energy. I've seen other platforms. I've seen you being interviewed on TV shows, et cetera. And you always bring it. And you're doing that again here today on Critical Mass Business Talk Show. So let's now talk about what it is you do. What does Rayberg Life Insurance Settlements offer? What's the service? 
Well, I mentioned the 500,000 seniors, right? So mm-hmm. what we do is we help clients who no longer want or need or can afford their life insurance policies anymore. We help them sell those policies for cash. Our fiduciary duty is to clients. Our role is to market that policy and get the most amount of money for the clients that we possibly can. We are, as you said, a life settlements broker. We broker the deal um, to, like I said, represent clients and get them the most money we can. And and how does that, if I could, because uh, how does that work in in general? Model a, a conversation or a relationship or a transaction. What's involved in the process? Well, there's a couple. Of, okay, so I'm hoping to answer your question because there's a couple of different directions that I can go. But I'll give okay. you an example. We have a two a client um, that we just worked with, in, referred by her insurance agent. She has a two hundred thousand dollar universal life policy. It has six hundred dollars of cash in it. In other words, as we get older, a cost of insurance really increases, and it chews up any cash values that are in policies. And so she had six hundred dollars of cash left. Had she surrendered that to the insurance company, she would have received six hundred dollars. She did not have the money to continue to put more money in this policy. It was going to be very expensive. She just cashed a check for $95,000. So that is an example. Uh, by the way, the opening offer on that policy was $20,000. So that's an example of what we do and how it benefits clients. Um, we are very much like a real estate transaction. So life insurance policies are assets that clients own, that anybody owns, like your car, like your house. And as an asset, you can sell that for cash. So the investor groups who purchase these policies will pay cash today. They will take over the policy as the owner. They'll pay the premiums and they will be the beneficiary. They're not doing it out of the goodness of their own heart, right? Um, but we need them to make our market go. So they give cash, they receive their, their um, investment later on. Okay. And you talked about, I think a whole life is this, does this work for term insurance as well? It does. There's no type of policy that cannot be sold. So that's important. Now, to be clear, there are clients policies that we can't sell because of the dynamics of the policy or a client's life expectancy or health issues or whatever. Um, But any type of policy can be sold. So universal life is the number one seller. Term is actually number two. Whole life is number three. Okay. So again, I hope you don't mind. I'm just really curious about this. Yeah. And you, you clearly have a command of, of this industry, this part of the insurance industry. What are the, what's the financial justification for the investors who are buying the policies? What are they counting on or betting on, if you will? Right. What they're looking, it's an investment for them. Bottom line. So because they take over a policy, they will receive the funds of the life insurance policy when the client passes away. So it's just a function of numbers for them. It's, it is an average return of 9 to 13% for them. And here's why uh, I think it's important that investors are here, obviously. If we have people who don't want their policies anymore, in order to make a market go, we need people to buy that, right? Supply right. demand. Right. So the investors are really important. And they also do it for diversification tools. So this is hedge funds, mutual funds, college endowment funds. The state of Michigan has $500 million invested in these because it's a good return for them. They'll take slices of their billions of dollars of their portfolio and put it into uh, life insurance policies as a diversification tool as well, because it's not tied to world events or what's going on in the market. So it works beautifully for clients and it works beautifully for the investors. Is there an opportunity for the non-institutional investor to be on the investment side of this transaction as well? 
Yeah, there is. Um, and I do have a colleague who markets what's called fractional life shares. So if anyone's interested in that side of it, I can connect you with someone else. My side of it is just the front side, right? right. The front side of the coin. His side mm -hmm. is the um, second side of the coin, the other side of the coin. Yeah, he markets fractional life shares. Uh, so people, Main Street, can invest in these as well. This is, I'm so glad you're on the show because this, this is really, <laughs> it's like super interesting that, and don't hear this the wrong way. This is just the thought that's in my head. These institutional investors are betting on other people's life and sort of passing. I mean, <laughs> there's a market for it's. There's a market for everything. There is, and like I said, and, wow. and that that is some feedback that I get occasionally. But once again, my perspective is this: without investors buying these, right? Without the demand for them then the the lady, the client I just told you about, would get $600 for her policy. Last time I checked, she's better off as well. Right. So it benefits the client. It benefits the investors. I mean, it benefits our, our referral partners because it'd be more revenue for them. And certainly it benefits me. So it's a it works beautifully for everybody. So, so Lisa, you were in the, you've been in the insurance industry for some time. So you saw this, I consider this a niche within the insurance industry, but you, you kind of saw this and you were so compelled by the opportunity and the value that you believe you bring to your clients that you've decided to build a business specifically to help people to figure out how to monetize their life insurance. Is that, yeah. is that fair? That's fair. And this is all we do. This is my only focus. So we are a niche of a niche of a niche. Um, and like I said, we do serve clients and referral partners nationwide, which is fabulous. Um, and it's I just love delivering checks or calling a, a insurance agent, financial advisor, whoever I'm working with and say, hey, call your client. The wire transfer just went through. Right. Yeah, this is um, uh, a robust area. And I'm wondering, as our country ages, is that a positive for you, the demographics? And that was another reason why I decided to move into this niche. Um, first of all, there's very few people across the country that do what I do. So that was an important mm. factor, right? I mentioned the 500,000 seniors. And yeah, I mean, I'm 28 in my head, but I've been in these business for 30 <laughs> years, right? So I'm getting older. The, the advisors I've worked with forever are getting older. Their client bases are getting older. Like we're all getting older. And the senior population, you and I both know, is set to explode um, in the next 10 years. So this market is going to do nothing but grow. And like I said, when I looked at who is in this world, there are very few people that solely focus on life settlements like me. So there's there's not a lot of people doing what I do, um, once again, as a complete focus. And um, it's just it, it's just a wonderful feeling to, like I said, to help clients. So it's a it's a win, win, win all over the place. So if I had uh, another, uh, we have another teachable moment here for entrepreneurs who are looking maybe to craft a business. I don't know that I have all the boxes checked or even listed, but one, do you have a passion for what you're doing? Check that box. Two, do you have uh, an understanding of the market forces that are behind it? In other words, do you have the relationships, et cetera, to be able to capitalize on as you scale your business? Check that. Do you have positive demographics and, and things working to help you? Yes. Is it a overly saturated supply market where you're going to be banging your heads with a ton of competitors? And, and no, no. Okay, good. Check. So it's like I'm going down a list of things that an early stage entrepreneur should look at before they just rush into starting a business. And it's like you've checked all the boxes I can 
you've, you've talked about them. I'm just writing down what you kind of said, Lisa. So that from a market research perspective, as an entrepreneur, you've done a fantastic job finding a niche within a niche, as you said. And I appreciate that. And I think the other thing that was an advantage is because I'd been in the insurance business for so long, I had developed relationships with insurance agents and financial advisors so I could go out to them immediately and say, hey, I, you know, it's me um, and I have this service. Now, grant you, it didn't take off right off the bat because this is not a good solution for everybody and it shouldn't be. And it's not, you know, it's not a good solution every day. This is not going to come up every day inside an insurance agents or financial advisors or whoever's uh, advisors, regular business. This is a once a year, twice a year type of situation. So it did take a while to grow, obviously. But the great thing is, once again, I had those relationships built up. I'm, I'm working with agents now seriously, that I have not talked to in 25, 30 years since I was their Blue Cross rep. And that mm. is just so fun. Right. Okay. We're talking with Lisa Rayberg. I wanted to dig into her business model and her her niche because I, I find it fascinating, as I do most of our guests, but she's a great spokesperson for it as well. You have been in the insurance industry for some time by your own admission. I'm wondering if, as you look at the insurance industry, kind of the bigger picture, how has it changed over time? Oh, it's become more inclusive. Thank goodness. I mean, thank goodness. Much more inclusive, much more diverse. And I'm very proud of the industry for that because it needed to be. Um, we are better uh, together, right? We are better. Diverse people coming together um, is important. Different perspectives are important. And I think that's made the industry um, better. I, I, I can give you stories from when I first started, but we don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe over uh, adult beverage there off you camera, go. you can there tell me some stories. Camera. That's right. Not on <laughs> yeah. camera. Never. We don't want it out there recorded. No. But I'm I'm glad to hear you say that as well, because I think that brings a certain vibrancy and energy to organizations and industries to have that uh, diversity. And I had a diversity and inclusion expert on our show yesterday, and we were talking about how that energizes companies as well. So in addition Absolutely. to industries. So thank you. All right. So where do you go, Lisa, to get access to other entrepreneurs who have insights and experiences that can help you to stay ahead of your competition and grow your business? It is anywhere and everywhere, Rick, because you never know when uh, you get into a conversation. So I, I do, you know, in-person networking, at least I, you know, used to, but that's starting to come back a little bit. So I do have a network that I've built up over time of, of people that are in the senior population business, because frankly, this is typically who our clients are as a senior. So I have a network of people that are senior focused services. They've been very helpful. LinkedIn has been helpful. Alignable has been helpful. A little bit of Facebook. Um, so it's anywhere and everywhere in every conversation I have, even if it's with um, a referral partner, a potential referral partner can be a good learning experience to pick up new tips. You just never know where conversations go. So if someone connects with me on LinkedIn and says, hey, Lisa, do you mind if we connect for a five or 10 minute conversation just to introduce each other? I, even though the industries may look wildly different from what I do with referral looks wildly different. I will talk to anybody and everybody because it's important for me to understand what other people are doing. I learn from them. And once again, you never know where conversations go. That's true. Six degrees of separation. If we look till tomorrow, the future, I always love to ask the entrepreneurs this question because you always, as a collective, 
entrepreneurs always have a vision for how it's going to be bigger and better or different in the future. Where are you taking your firm, Lisa? I am just, I am continuing to grow. Once For me, it's important to grow personally. And what I mean by that is stretch boundaries even more, try new things and raise our brand raise awareness for what we do. So for me, it's doing even more public speaking. It's getting to as in front of as many groups as possible. I'm so grateful for this opportunity, uh, Rick, just to let people know that this is here. Um, so there's that. More referral partners are important to me. Um, I just did a couple national conferences where I was a speaker, so I'm looking to do more of that. It's just more and more and more to continue to grow because in my mind, what we can't do is stop marketing. We can't stop marketing. We can't stop talking. We can't stop educating. We can't stop being out there, if you will. Um, and so I'm even more um, aggressive and I've actually hired a marketing firm to help me with that. Uh, once again, bandwidth, right? Um, yeah. To help me to help me get more speaking engagements. And you have what I believe is first mover advantage in some ways, because you're in a market where you believe it's, you know, you're kind of unique. There aren't a lot of competitors. So you really want to get your brand set before there might be other market forces and noise going on. So that's, that's right. Watch, watch who's, who's gaining on you. Right. Right. Yeah. You can never be right. Your success will inspire others. <laughs> and then all of a sudden now you have people who want to do what you're doing because you've been so successful at it. If, if someone would like to learn more about you or about Rayburg insurance, life insurance settlements, sorry about that. That's I okay. got it. Uh, how do they do that? Where do they go? Well, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, and our web, our website is rayburglifesettlements.com. Uh, my phone number is 714-349-7981. I'll repeat real quick, 714-349-7981. And my, uh, my email address is lrayburg at aol.com, just because it's easier. And I've had it for 30 years. So those of you who are joking with me about having an <laughs> AOL address, it's easier than Lisa at rayburglifesettlements.com. So it's lrayburg at aol.com. There you go. Well, this has been uh, fun. And I was always, I knew it was going to be a good time. I've been looking forward to having you on the program since we first kind of encountered each other. And I'm so thankful that you've spent a little bit of time here with me and our audience today. It's a privilege to be here, really, Rick. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks You're for the welcome. opportunity. You're welcome. I'd like to also thank Gottlieb, Brackman, and Reisman, who proudly supported this edition of Critical Mass Business Talk Show. GRRPC provides legal advice and guidance on all aspects of intellectual property law, including patents, trademarks, and copyrights. To learn more, visit their website, grr.com. I'd like to thank you for being a part of Orange County's longest-running business talk show. Lisa's episode was number 1,331. If we're not connected on LinkedIn, I'm Rick, R-I-C, Franzi, F-R-A-N-Z-I, and that's my website as well. And until the next time we have a chance to be together, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. Thank you.